Welcome to episode 478 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 478 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. How about yourself? Where in the world are you right now? I'm sitting in rainy Auckland. Oh, you're people, in Auckland now, are you? Yeah, people around the world, uh, if you come to Auckland, the forecast pretty much every day is possibility of rain. <laughs> it's funny, I was, I was in Auckland last week. And uh, one of the guys, I was rooming with three other guys, and uh, one of the guys... That sounds like a bit dodgy. <laughs> oh, we partied hard, John, I tell you. But uh, one of the guys had never really stayed in Auckland so much, and he was just like, oh my God, does it rain in Auckland every bloody day? And I'm like, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> okay, guys, well, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athletics.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our team patrons. And the patrons uh, include some of these amazing people. Julia Cleopatra Jones. Dan the Man Cole. Mike the Hawk Threadgold. And then we've got the interpreter Aaron Hurwitz. And Gear All Golden, Golden Shoes Johansson. Nice, love your work team. Okay, this week's show is a little bit different because John's in the reign of Auckland. So we're doing a little bit of a different show. So first of all, we're going to do a bit of news um, and then we're just going to Basically, are we going to do a week discussion of the week? Yeah, we'll do discussion of the week. It was a hot one. It was it a was hot one. Nuts. It went nut bar, Jonbo. went absolute nut bar. And then because John was away, I caught up with James Lawrence yesterday, the Iron Cowboy. I sat down and spoke with him for about an hour about the whole 50-50-50. And uh, it was a pretty good interview, actually. He's he's a pretty interesting character. And, um, yeah, far out, Brussels sprout. So you guys will hear that real soon. So we're going to have an interview with Iron Cowboy in the show today as well. So let's rock on, John. Okay, well, first of all, news, and we had Ironman Copenhagen over the weekend, and that was a challenge race last year, wasn't it? It was either last year or the year before it was a challenge race, so yeah. it was I've taken over. And I'm going to hand over to you, Bevan, to try to pronounce the, the name of the winner. Okay, well, let me pull it up here, John, because I've put it aside. A name, a name that I've never heard of. He's from Brazil. He swam 48. He rode 426, ran 254 for an 8.14.56, won by about six minutes from Henrik Heidelunk from Denmark and... Andreas Neerdrig from Germany in third, and I'll comment on that in the first in a moment. But Bevan, give that name a crack. Okay, well, I'm, I'm doing the Apple trick here, so you may have heard that in the background. I'm not quite sure if this is recording in the background, but let's have a try. It says Manichel Gerhelm Valenger. They didn't get the order right, right around the right way. Gerhelm Valencia Mochiel from Brazil. Manichel. Is it Manichel? I don't know, but never heard of him, but that's a that's a solid performance. He smacked it out of the park. That's a great performance. Seven minute victory. But possibly the most yeah. interesting part of this race was third place, Andreas Neerdrig. Uh, you will have heard me mention his name before, and all of every time I'll say, God, he must be really getting quite old now. Finished in third place. So I did a little bit of little bit of Googling and he's forty seven. Yeah. So he used to be a fantastic um, athlete, sort of in the in like the Jurgen Zack type era. So was he was he kind of guy? Because back in those days there weren't many Ironmen. So was he the kind of guy who would win races? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was he was he was up there in Kona and always up there and, and wrote and things like that. So from memory, he was a, a good swimmer, solid, really solid on the bike, and just a steadyish runner. But his big story, and I will have said this before as well, is he's a reformed druggie, like a proper on the oh, streets. I, I uh, think I know of him now. Actually, yeah. And he's written a book and everything like that. And, yeah, he had a, his website was all in German. It looked like he maybe has a coaching business and stuff and just keeps ticking over. But, uh, yeah, third place and by 20 seconds, uh, just sort of just held on by 20 seconds from Mike Sheriff. And then probably the probably the most disappointing yeah, race of the day was uh, Jan, Raf, uh, Jan Raphael. So a few years ago he was, you know, winning races. Um, I think he might have gone under eight hours potentially um, and a sort of a potential kind of contender and, uh, yeah, only managed fifth place. What about the girl side of things? John Michelle Vestby took it out. Yeah, it's good good for her because she's had a real roller coaster time and really been struggling. Don't think she's got a Kona slot, uh, or if she has, she's only just scraped in. But yeah. ten seconds under the nine hour barrier, fifty minutes swim, four fifty two, three twelve, eight fifty nine, forty nine, and three minutes in front of Sophie Goss and Sonia Tysik in third and nine oh eight. Wow. There we go. And uh, any other news from that race? John, I was kind of looking at stuff, something else as you were speaking then. That's pretty much it. We had Ironman Japan at the weekend as well. Sven Sundberg took that out in 9.22 from Patrick Evo and Simon Cochran, the Kiwi. And then on the girls' side of things, good old uh, Lee Xiaoyu. She was down in Christchurch a few years ago. She's from Taiwan, bit of a rock star over there. Uh, won in 10.22. She's won that race before. And Brie Wee was the second and Emi Sake was third. And I think the key thing for uh, Li Xiaoyu is I think that will give her enough points. We'll find out in a moment uh, from tryrating.com. But I think she will have achieved her goal of trying to qualify for Kona. So good on her. Well, I think the thing to, to, the Ironman China, I mean, sorry, Japan is traditionally one of the slowest courses out there. And far out, the winning men did 9.22. So it's obviously a pretty challenging, like really challenging bike course. Mm. It's uh, we need information on our Asian races for our for our Ironman guides. So anybody who's done Ironman Japan, anybody who's done Lankawi, anybody who's done any of the Iron Distance races, um, Taiwan Challenge, Taiwan Ironman Taiwan, we haven't really got any information on those. So so we can have the most awesome guides. So Bevan and I just don't guess on what the, the profile and stuff is like. Um, help us out. Go to imtalk.me and click on the little race guide and just fill in the details on the nature of the course. Cool things to do and stuff like that so how far into it are we like percentage wise how many well, um we've got a lot we've got a lot it's just like all the main race pretty much the majority of the main races we've got but uh, by all means it's good to have two or three opinions on races like most races we only have one or two uh but yeah i was just emailing tony hodge the legend who is doing it yeah and- great work tony maybe look for December sort of launch. We want to have the majority of the races up there. So at the moment, where we're short is all the races that are sort of coming up now, like these Asian races, uh, some of the end-of-season races, um, that sort of not not the main European and American races, the ones on the periphery is where we need information. But so if you, are doing, if you did Ironman Japan last weekend or if you are doing any of the races coming up, make sure when you get home you do that report for us because it's going to be a great resource for everybody out there. Jombo. The big, the big thing now is now we know who's going to Kona. So the August cutoff has now happened, so it's official. It looks like we know who's going to Kona. Yes, so as I said, on the girls' side of things, according to tryrating.com, old Torsten uh, has put his uh, you know, pred- uh, unofficial predictions on there. So it looks like Michelle Vesterby's got in, Sonia Tysik, those guys both raced at the weekend. Astrid 
Steinen, um, uh, Lee Xiao Yu, uh, Sarah Pamplona, Kate Snow, scraped in, and looks like Sophie Goss has got the last spot. So, of all those girls, you know, Sophie Goss, uh, Lee Xiao Yu, Sonia Tysik, and Michelle Vesely all raced at the weekend, so they just. Didn't Kate Snow do Binteng as well? Because I think she got second in Binteng, didn't she? Uh, behind Gina. She may well have done, don't oh, know. I'll do some research on that while you're talking. Cool. And then on the guys' side of things, guys that have managed to, to get in there, um, whether or not they take their slots, um, the names of note, Andrea Australert, Boris Stein, the Rapster, not sure if he's planning on going, Paul Ambrose, Fraser Cartmel, Matt Sharbot, Jeremy Dukowitz, and Justin Deere. So, again, a lot of those guys have raced recently, so just sort of scraping in to get enough points. But I don't know if they have the official list out yet because whilst the qualifying cut off at the weekend, uh, they have to wait and see who actually wants to go. So the Rapster in particular, you know, some years he hasn't taken his spot. Um, we could see Andreas Raylert just scraping in as well, so he could you know, have an impact on the race. Well, uh, yep, Cat Snow took, got second behind Gina at the Binteng 70.3. Big Brad Carterfield took out the men's, and Mike, Mike Phillips from New Zealand took out second. Yep, Christchurch boy Mike Phillips. Yeah. Good weekend. I know Terenzo also, he won a 70.3 at the weekend as well in Budapest. Well, Jonbo, the big thing coming up this weekend, obviously, is that the World 70.3 champs are coming up. So it, it looks like a pretty blue, good field, doesn't it? You've you got to give... WC some good credit here because A, they've got an awesome course. I'm really looking forward to seeing the course. And, you know, when, the, when they used to have the race back in uh, Florida, it was, a, it, was, it was a strongish field. You know, you'd have a couple of rock stars there, but, you know, only a couple. And, you know, you wouldn't have 10 or 15 really good guys. But here, you know, you have got the majority of the best guys. in Far out, yeah. You'd read the names. You've got Gomez, Tim Don, Tim Reed, um, Frodo, Ray Luke, Michael Ray Luke. You've got Kinley, you've got Trenzo Bazzoni, you've got Joe Gambles. Far out, it's just like a rock star field, isn't it? It is. And, uh, and similarly on the <laughs> girls' side of things, you know, you've got the majority of the girls. You haven't got Rinny and Joycey there. They're probably the two main ones that are missing. But you've got Reef, Kessler, Wirtle, Swallow, uh, Vitakova, Baranek, um, Mary Beth Ellis. So, yeah, it should be an awesome race. And just I'm really intrigued to see how things go. Andrew Starkowitz is there on the guys' side of things. <laughs> they crank it up on the bike because it is a very challenging bike course. So pe- and people may stick together. You know, They may be able to hang tough. Um, but what impact that will have on the run, who knows. But you, you'd, you'd always say Javier Gomez is going to be the favourite along with uh, Fredino and potentially uh, Michael Raylert and Terenzo. But Javier Gomez is just racing so often um, he won an ITU race at the weekend. He's doing a, the weekend before that. Maybe it was Rio. He's just racing almost every weekend. So I don't know how much training he does, but um, he may just sort of do maintenance work during the week and then just race every weekend, and that's his, his key workout. But, my God, he is just racing so much. Question I have, John. Um, I don't really know the names of the ITU guys. Have we got any other ITU guys coming across from racing? Not really, no. I would say that our regular contenders are in there because, you know, you do have to qualify for this race. You have to do at least 170.3, if not a couple. Um, so, no, when I look down the list on the guys' side of things, there's nobody jumping out because a lot of the guys are, are in Olympic qualifying at the moment. And I dare say that had Gomez not confirmed his Olympic slot, uh, he probably wouldn't be racing. So I think that's one of the reasons why perhaps this year we aren't seeing guys sort of doing a 70.3 here or there. You know, they're all just focused on Olympic qualifying. 
Mm, okay. Uh, so I wonder what, what, what is it on a Saturday or Sunday in Austria? Good question. I'm going to go for Sunday, but I really don't know. Yeah, because well, it would be awesome to watch live. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So bike course looks fantastic. And same for the age groups. Really looking forward to seeing how it all, how it all pans out. Okay, your prediction, John? Uh, I'd probably go with Fredino, I would imagine. Yeah, mm. Fredino. Okay. Well, I'm going to go Gomez. Girls? Girls, hard to look past Danielle yeah, Reef. It's a good yeah. form. Gives a rock star. Okay, John, we've also got Ironman, uh, how do you say that one, Muskoka? Muskoka. Uh, I think it's the first time they've had Muskoka. They, they had the world ITU champs there. Goodness, this is going to be testing my memory, Bevan. I'm going to pick Here we up. go. It would have been about 1992, I think, 1992. And Spencer Smith beat Cameron Brown in the junior race. I remember that. You were there, was it the one you went to? No, I didn't go to that, but it was, uh, it, was it was a very close race. Spencer Smith, no, it wasn't. I'm not sure if it was extremely close, but Spencer Smith. And then I think on the girls' side of things, may have been a sprint finish with Michaeli Jones. I can't remember. And I think Lessing maybe won the guys. Anyway, it's uh, going to be an interesting race. Uh, no pro race there, but really, really undulating bike course. Looks um, looks pretty beautiful. So we'll see how all the age groups manage with that one. We've got Ironman Vici as well in France. Again, this used to be one of the challenge races. It switched over to uh, Ironman race, and at this time of the season, you know, again, most of the guys, the, the key guys are getting ready for Kona. You've got Dirk Bockel, who's by far the strongest on the, the guys' side of things, and outside of that, no real sort of Kona con- not top top contenders. But is Dirk going to Kona? Because we haven't confirmed that. I'm thinking no. that if he's racing this race, he isn't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. We'll have a look through the list in a moment, but I'm pretty sure he's uh, he has not got hardly any points at all. Oh. Girls it's a pity, really, isn't it? Like, it's a pity that he's not going to be there. It is, because you know, he can have an impact on the race, and he's shown it in the past. You know, he's one of those guys who's, who's a real strong swim biker and can hang tough on the run. Mm. Um, so he wouldn't be one of my picks to be uh, a winner, but he's one of those guys that could eke out a second or third place. Yeah, girl sort of thing is Natasha Batman's back in the game. Oh, it's going to be. Again, I'm sure if she wins, she'll be setting another record for the oldest person to win an Ironman. Um, Corinne Abraham's down there again. She's been on pretty much every start list I think we've had in the last two months. So whether or not she's racing or not, I'm not sure. But you know, good opportunity for these girls to get some points, and girls and guys, get some points and start um, cranking them up for, for next year's Kona because at this stage it's counting for 2016, not 2015. Badminton Pro in 1995. Nice. <laughs> yes. It's crazy when you think of it like that, isn't it? She's been 20 years racing as a pro and potentially could still win races. Um, we've got the Challenge First Valley, or Valley First Challenge Penticton happening this year, and it's been interesting looking at the kind of the, the trajectory of that race over the last period of time because once they've gone to Challenge, it hasn't been as successful as what it was in IMM, but Challenge has done quite a good job of doing the teams thing to make it event with lots of people there. Yeah, so I really like what they're doing. I mean, in terms of the numbers, I had a quick look on the website because I was intrigued to see um, how many they had. Uh, so they have around about 200 individuals in the full, plus about another 100 teams. They have a, a lot and a half, um, plus teams. And it looks like they're around, around about, they've got about 1,200, 1,300 um, entrants all up. So I, I really like having races. I mean, that course there is it's a classic. You know, it's a, it's a one-looper on the bike and uh, just your classic Ironman race and it's somewhere where you can go and there's just enough people that you're going to have some company out there um, as you go through the, the course but 
not so many like at Ironman races where you're constantly going to be worried about drafting and things like that. So downside is, you know, maybe not quite as much atmosphere with as many people around, but you get a nice fair race and uh, you, t- you just don't have to focus so much on what everybody else is doing. You can focus on what you're doing. So good on them and uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, do you want any of the K236 races you want to talk about? No, if anyone wants to check those out, go to k226.com. That's your main resource if you're ever looking for any races outside of WTC events. Okay, Jonbo. John's ITU update. What happened last weekend, mate? So Stockholm was on, a slightly weaker field. A lot of people now will be getting ready for the big race, which is Chicago, grand final, and double points. So a little bit of a slightly diluted field. Um, but we had uh, Sarah True from the States took out Zaveris. Andrea Hewitt was in second place for ages and just got pipped towards the end. And Gomez looks like, I didn't watch the, the guy's coverage, but Gomez looks like he actually crushed it by a good minute or so on the run. So uh, not too much of a contest there. Well, there you go. Gomez is looking pretty sharp lately, isn't he? Okay, Jonbo, the question is, What's this week's discussion? Or does it, or do you want to sponsor? Let's do sponsor first. To sponsor first, John. Athletes. Oh no, we'll go to extreme endurance now. Bevan, when I was, I've been in France, uh, sort of near near Monte Carlo for, a, for I don't know, I was only there about five days, but I've been away from home for about a week. And in that time, I think I've been averaging maybe four hours sleep a night. Nice. Just shocking. A so bit large. Feeling pretty. Been out partying bad. every night. Every night. I'll tell you what, that casino. No, did, did you go? I didn't, but I'll, I'll, I will get there at some stage. But uh, one of the things that I'm certainly going to be doing to look after myself is uh, cranking the immune boost because I am feeling pretty smoked and don't want to get sick. So if you guys want to check it out, go to xendurance.com. Under products, you find immune boost, 42.90 if you get it on uh, recurring delivery or 44.90. But I get so much feedback from people on how this one uh, saves their bacon. Whenever, <laughs> it's funny, I get these emergency emails in Christchurch from people going, I'm sick, I'm sick, can I come around and get a pack of immune boost? And uh, <laughs> so it it's, really works well, and I know whenever I'm on the feeling like I'm on the edge or feeling like I might be getting sick, that's the first thing I go for. So uh, check it out, xendurance.com, immune boost. It was funny, I think it was uh, Nick Rhodes, I think it was, or was, I think it was on Facebook, he had a post of his, come after like a six-hour bike ride, and he had the, what's, what's the, the shake you have? Uh, execute? Yeah, he, he had a picture of Execute saying, ah, oh, bliss, been looking forward to this for like six hours, so... Gonna make me laugh. Okay, John, discussion of the week. Last week's discussion was we got the email through from someone telling us about, or maybe you saw it, 10 things triathletes do that piss off cyclists. And we wanted to flip it on its head and see what you guys think cyclists do that annoy us. So, and we heated up, John. There was some, some anger out there. I think, you know, cyclists are a funny bunch. Um, it's a bit like the Australian cricket team. You kind of hate them all. <laughs> There's usually only one or two real tossers. My God, I've met some absolute tosser cyclists in their time, and it, feel, it seems like uh, I'm not alone. I think they've just got a yeah a slightly different gene, and a lot they're just a lot of them are very aggressive. But then, as a lot of people have pointed out, uh, a lot of cyclists are fantastic, and for a lot of people, have created a really good environment going out on group rides and sharing their knowledge, people t- t- teaching people how to ride in groups. But uh, yeah, we've got some pretty pretty good comments here. Okay, uh, I'll go with uh, Peter Mills first. Nothing because cyclists are generally right about triathletes. I am a triathlete and a racing cyclist. Well, he's not really he's not really supporting us here. I am doing a big cycle race this weekend. I look for other triathletes and avoid the wheel like the plague. 
James Wiseman Botel. Number one, Rafa gear. It's like cock rings for your arm and leg. I own Rafa gear, psych, uh, gear, but don't have a cock ring yet. Uh, <laughs> cyclist bike handling. While triathletes get a bad rap, I don't see a local race happening without a human jam and a large carbon wreckage being a feature. Number three, how many bikes? One for mountain, one for sprinty stage, one for TT, one for throwback racing, fixie. Can't you just do it all on one? And number four, no cross-training, causing some to look like Holocaust survivors. There you go. Simon Lund's got, uh, I'm not sure what PFST stands for. What does that mean? I'm um, not sure. I can't see it. No. Cyclists are commuters and lycras, and lycra trying to get from one bakery to the next coffee shop. <laughs> they do like their coffee stops. Yeah, they do. Yep. Clive Asplin, riding fast, being able to ride in a straight line with hands on the bar, knowing how to remove add clothes at speed. Oh, wait, that's just being a better rider. Sorry, cyclist first. Who cares about Strava? No number, no race. Robert Wheat's got, I don't really care about what type of bike someone uses or for a Strava segment, but I do have a problem with people getting KOMs on a group ride. Yeah, it's kind of true. IMO. Those should be individual achievements or Strava should add a filter so we can remove all achievements that are earned during a group ride. That is a kind of a good point. I like that one. A lot of people get fired up about Strava. Oh, my God. Oh, really? I've never done the Strava thing. Do you get into oh, Strava? Oh, no, I'm not. But, my God, people get fired up about that. Really? Very much so. Wayne Ross, number one, racing up hills and then slowing to a crawl on the flats. I'm hearing you. Number two, not bothering to say good day to anyone on a TT bike. Number three, Wearing a head-to-toe lycra with designs that look like someone has spewed up post-cocktail party and still taking the piss out of calf socks. Okay, well, we've got Penny uh, Cummings. She's got, uh, I think they can corner better than triathletes. Tri-man Jack, those stupid bloody hats they wear under their helmets, the cute socks and team jerseys. Also, I hate how they bludge in a race while triathletes do all the work then jump off your wheel to steal the wins. Bloody leeches. I, I, I don't mind the hats. I think I've never worn one, but I do think they're kind of cool. Oh, I'm, I'm with Tri-Man Jack there. <laughs> okay, uh, Michael Kennedy's guy. I wanted to ask Coach John about why a flat bike course like Sunshine Coast is in a championship course. There are plenty of championship courses. I'm not really sure if this is on point here, Michael. It's not on point, but I'll go. I'll, I'll keep on going. Okay, now, there are plenty of championship courses that are flat, e.g. Melbourne Ironman. If the bike is to be hilly, so should the run. The swim should also be in the surf. I think it was a true championship event. You would have an ITU field uh, and race it in waves of plenty of TOs to monitor the drafting. Michael, you're totally off point. Sharpen up. God, but I will comment on that. I don't have a big problem with it being a flat bike course. I have a problem with it being, it's just one, one, it's going to be two laps, or often races are two laps, and it's just too much congestion. If they spread it massively out, do age group starts with small groups, then it might happen, but they won't do that, so that's why I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't consider it. Okay. My last one, Duncan Penfold. I don't get why cyclists unclip and walk around in their bike shoes. Guys, just slip your feet out like you're approaching T2. Number two, not acknowledging riders on TT bikes. Few people have said that, and I'll agree with that one. Number three, constantly stopping at coffee shops and bakeries. I'm hearing you. Number four, <laughs> using French and Italian when they're riding with Australians in Australia or in Z saying coal or LA, etc., makes you no cooler than the guy who pees on his feet at the urinal. <laughs> and number five, 
John likes bullet points. Overall, Duncan, fantastic job. Bullet points, loving it. Oh, mate, here you go. You get the pat on the back. I've got two more to go. Uh, Richard Swan's got, I get annoyed with groups that are all dressed up in the same kit, making out they are some form of professional team when they're riding together, when they're really just a bunch of weekend warriors, which is... Uh, nice point. And then Brandon Del Campo. Del Campo, haven't heard from him in a while. I'm just shocked there were, wait, there were only 10 things. So there we go. Jombo, your answers. I think they've covered most of my things. Um, whenever I go, it's just the anger some of them have got. You know, a couple of times when I used to go out in group rides, it would just get so aggressive and they just – and I, I'm hearing people that you know they won't wait. They'll wave to you if you're on a uh, if you're on a on a on your roadie. If you're on your TT bike, it's just like you do, you do not exist. I suppose the question but, is, is it the difference in sport? You know, I'm, like just kind of taking a step back here. If you think about Ironman, it's very much kind of an individual you know, kind of pursuit of you proving yourself against yourself. If you know what I mean, and like that doesn't mean we're not competitive people. And there's obviously going to be aggressive Ironman triathletes out there. Whereas you think of Cycling, it is a bit more of that chess game where you're constantly making decisions based on the people around you. And mm-hmm. so, is it just the nature of the sport brings out a different kind of attitude in people? Yeah, totally. It's it's a very you know very different. You you do have to sit in and let other people do the work, and um, yeah, it's it's all about that. Like often, it's about that last uh, couple of minutes of the race or a couple of key minutes when you when you're riding up a hill. So, yeah, totally different sport. But that's not an excuse for being a tosser. <laughs> My thing, my thing was more just the disrespect for triathletes. And again, we are speaking about the two percent here. But I remember when I went to Kona, and when I did Kona in two thousand and four, and I met the airport, and some guys there with his family, and he was a cyclist, and he just like for the next ten minutes, he just told me why triathletes suck, and, and I was just thinking, you've just met me, like. Are you trying to build rapport with me by insulting me for 10 minutes? I just didn't, I really didn't get it, eh? So I kind of just thought, well, I need to move away from this man. So, okay, this week's discussion. Would you want to race an Ironman or a half if it was draft legal? John, that's a crap discussion, so I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm getting rid of it. What I'm going to do this week is, when is the moment you gave up in sport? So, because one thing we love doing is we love telling people the days when we really nailed it, you know? It's that, oh, you know, I was in the depths of despair, but I pulled through and I finished the race. I want to hear your weakest moment in the sport, the time when you gave up and you didn't turn it around. We don't want to say, but then I turned it around and won the race. I want to hear that day when you're at your absolute weakest in your sporting career as a triathlete. Mm-hmm. John, can you tell me yours? Uh, well, we'll do that next week. I'm okay with you vetoing this week. I will come back to it. It is a bit weak, but uh, I'm happy with you vetoing it this week. Okay, so the, the, this week's discussion is, when was your weakest moment in sport? Not that you pulled through from. So not. I don't want to. If you put that, I then turned it around. I'm not reading it out. Yeah, and okay. you may you may get barred from our Facebook page. You get you're gonna get barred, just like bloody Michael Kennedy. Was it Kennedy? Who was Kennedy? Yeah, he didn't even answer the question. <laughs> answer the question, team. Sort your crap out. Okay. Um, are we gonna do sponsor here? Let's do just, yeah. Let's, oh no, let's do sponsor after the interview. Sounds good. Okay, let's put an interview, guys. So. We've all been talking about the Iron Cowboy after the last period of time. He did the 50-50-50, which was a crazy idea. And the fact he pulled off was just a pretty phenomenal feat. Um, really interesting man. And I suppose sat down with him yesterday for an hour and just had a bit of a yarn with him. So I'm going to chuck that in right now, Jumbo. Here we go. Rolling. Okay, team well. I'm very happy to have on the show today a uh, bit of a legend and uh, for lots of reasons in our sport and uh, many of us are pretty proud of the fact we can do an Ironman in our lifetime. Well, this guy has just completed 50 Ironman in 50 days. It's Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence on the show. How you going, mate? 
Awesome, man. Thanks for having. I was just talking to you before we push record, and, um, you know, like, it's it's really fascinating. I'm always fascinated in kind of the job of being you, um, and I imagine, <laughs> well, you know, because that's kind of, I imagine for you right now, that is kind of a job. You know, you've done this epic sporting achievement, and we'll get into the detail of that in a second, but I imagine the moment you got off that last run, even through till now, like, look, you're still bloody talking about it, there's almost this kind of job and responsibility and effort it takes so can you tell me a little bit about that yeah it's interesting what you know when i stopped everyone's first question was how long are you going to sleep and how much time are you going to take off and and uh you know i day one immediately after we had sponsorship responsibilities and media and and i i haven't had a day off since wow <laughs> it's it's been a different kind of a day off i mean i'm do- doing something totally different but we're being pulled in every direction and, and requests and media and sponsorships. And so it's been, it's been crazy just in a different way. How, how do you manage that? Cause obviously there's a time, like I remember once we were talking to Crowey and Kona and it was kind of that whole thing of how do you make sure you manage the expectations of being Crowey, but also making sure you can still train and, and do the things you need to do to be the athlete you can be. Obviously you're a guy who loves to exercise a stupid amount and I'm sure, obviously, you need some downtime right now. But how are you managing just within your life and your family and just yeah, within yourself around that? Yeah, what's what's been great is uh, after the 50th event, I really did stop. Um, yeah. I, I stopped exercising. And so so let's say pre-50, um, I, I was doing any, anywhere between 6 and 12 hours a day of training. And so that's off the table. Yeah, And so it freed me up to um, – just spend a little bit of time with the family and the kids, um, and, and then really just just decompress. Um, there's a huge letdown yeah. after you fi- after you finish something like this. You just you're so focused, and you have you know you only have one job, mm. and, and you know exactly what that job is, and and you know what your expectations are. And so as soon as you finish, um, it's kind of like, oh, now what? Mm. And so it was it was actually kind of cool that the media just like hit us really hard because it was like I wasn't ready to just turn it all off mm, mm. and so I had the time to do the media requirements and things like that because I wasn't um, doing the training um, I, I, I took two and a half almost three weeks completely off I just started getting back on my bike um, but, I, but I think it was good that the media came right after us and sponsors wanted things because had I gone from you know 50 all out to to nothing, yeah. I think the, the the letdown would have been too big. Yeah, and, well, and so it was almost like it was a good transition period. So, so I suppose the one thing for you, James, is that you've always done these kind of crazy events, and obviously this is another level. How have you dealt with the down after the fact in the past? Because obviously there's there's a kind of part of dealing with this journey is this kind of post experience. So, how have you dealt with that in the past? Uh, you know, we've done crazy things in the past, but not this level of crazy. Yeah. Um, th- this was, this was something all on its own. Yeah. Um, the, the other two, we just transitioned right back into normal life. Just doing coaching. And, um, and this one, I mean, like, like I said, the media was intense. Um, I'm dealing with a whole different breed of sponsorships and, and things and the attention that they need. And so to, to deal with it, it's, it's, it's been more fun this time. Um, and I didn't have to try to figure out oh exactly, you know what what I need to do or direction I need to do. I'm being told what to do by my sponsors and things, and so I, I'm I'm having I'm not having to be as creative or, or or get into a different mode. I can stay in this mode. 
Great. So, so let's go back to the start. So at what point in time did you think, I've got an idea, I'm going to do 50 Ironman in 50 days? And, and as you start to think about that, obviously there's this kind of training component we need to look at, but also the logistical side. Like where did you start even once you had the idea? Yeah. Um, yes. You know, when I did the, the 30 Ironmans in a year, we didn't know how to train for that either. Um, and, uh, and, and logistically it was a little bit easier because they were all official events. They, a lot of them were WTC. So that was kind of mapped out for us. Um, and this came about, uh, race 28 of the 30. Um, I, I'd almost accomplished that goal and I, I just, I, I didn't feel satisfied. And, uh, and I, I didn't, <laughs> I know it's, I know it sounds stupid, but I didn't feel like I had, pushed or found my mental and physical limits and um, I wanted to really know what happened when I when I got there and uh, I, I got home right after that 30 and I called up my friend and coach David Warden and I know you guys had a conversation with him and yeah, he's uh, great yeah he is a stud um, and, and I just sat him down and I said look this is this is what I want to do and he kind of just shook his head and, and you know he told me afterwards that in that moment he was like All right, I'll do this favor for you and, and you know not really thinking that I was going to go through with it. And, uh, and so we just kind of sat down together and, and I'm a coach and he's a coach. And so we just kind of bounced some ideas off each other and said, okay, this is, this is like how we think we can do it. And, uh, and let's just go. And then, and then I guess he realized that was serious as we got closer and closer. And then once I started, he was like, Oh, he's going to go out there. <laughs> and what kind of time frame was that? So when, what kind of time was it before the actual, you know, when you kind of start to get the ball rolling until the point where you started? Yeah, so that was at the end of two, right at the end of 2012, and I mentioned it to my wife, and she was like, "No." <laughs> she, she's like, you, "You need to finish the current one that we're doing <laughs> before." And she was like, "You are not allowed to bring this up until February of next year." Okay, and uh, and so she was like, "I need at least three to four months." And so the the planning for this really started mid 2013. Yep. So it was a good good 18 months of uh, logistics and um, really trying to see if it was possible and then trying to get with all the sponsors. And, and, and I mean, financially, it was a huge, huge uh, thing to put together. We had to do marketing and, and branding and sponsorship and fundraising and uh, logistics and then physically getting ready and, and then all the media. And so it, it was literally like trying to put together a new small business. Yeah, yeah. And was it just you and your wife or do you have much of a support network? No, my wife was actually in uh, school full time. Wow! And so, so I did. I did ninety nine point eight percent of it. Um, wow. Had some friends help out with some favors and whatnot, but I did it all. And then I got the five kids at home, and so mom was five in school. Kids. <laughs> yeah, I got five kids, ages twelve, eleven, nine, seven, and six. Wow! Uh, four girls and then a little boy. Wow! And so, so full time dad, full time athlete, full time logistics operation full-time manager, and then um, full-time support for my wife who's in school. So um, when, you, when you sat down to th- kind of start the planning side, what were the things that you needed to feel you had in place when you knew you could actually do it? Um, I had to land that first big sponsor just financially, yeah. just because the, the time commitment to um, train full-time, uh, I couldn't do a real job. Yeah. Uh, just, I, I slowly weaned off my coaching athletes I went from 40 to 35 to 30 to 25 and just slowly knocked them down until I had five or 10 about uh, two months before we started. Yeah. And then I, and then I cut it all the way down to zero. Um, but, but, uh, 
about 18 months before, almost two years before I landed uh, a big sponsor in Young Living Essential Oils. And uh, they backed me 100%. They believed in me early, early on. And um, and it was because of them initially that allowed me to train full-time, work on the all the logistics side of things. And so um, they're really the reason I was able to give this an actual shot. How do you sell it? Like, how do you go, you know, because these these kind of extreme events, you know, they can they can be hit and miss. You know, you can't, obviously, you've, the exposure you're getting is proven to be a pretty good hit, but, you know, they can be a bit hit and miss. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have done some pretty big things and not got the attention they'd hoped to get, um, or the exposure at least. Um, so what? how did you kind of sell it to these guys and in, in what you could do for them? Yeah, you know, I had to do... I had to prove myself. I had to do the 2010 world record. I had to do the 2012 world record. Um, I, I really had to prove myself. And, and e- even then, um, the, the biggest hurdle for people was, and, and like these big companies, they've got the money. They, they're going to spend it somewhere, anywhere. But they're so scared to sponsor an individual. Oh, really? They're, they're about sponsoring teams or events. The risk is just so high, mm. especially for especially for something like this that was so extreme. Mm. Uh, extreme. I mean, I get hurt, and it's like every dollar's gone, right? Yeah. It's it's over. Yeah. It's over. And so, so the fact that it was so crazy, so out there, um, and I was an individual, it was just a, an incredibly scary prospect for a company. And so, it, it meant a lot to me that that Young Living was was willing to go out on a limb and and you know put their name with me as I, as I built the momentum towards this. And then I've got, and then I've got other little sponsors that came on board. And by the time it was all over, they were like, man, we got a hell of a deal. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Like now it's proven to be a great investment, but hindsight's a fucking yeah. amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so then start to tell me about, so you, you kind of, you're still doing your bloody last crazy event and you think, oh, I need to do a new one because I haven't found myself to the level I want to. You start to kind of plan the logistics of it. You get to the point where you've got some security that allows it. 18 months out, maybe from when you actually do the thing, what, what's the plan training-wise? How do you start to break this down? Yeah, so training, uh, it's just impossible to train for, yeah. for 50 Ironmans. Yeah. And so so our plan was to train for a DECA. Uh, okay. get, us, get us ready to do 10. And then uh, the experience and the fitness we get from 10 will take us through 20. And the experience we get f- through 20 will take us through 30. And then it just builds on that. And so, um, you know, early, early on, we're doing a ton of muscular endurance, VO2 max, just a lot of high-end stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the event started in June. So once we got to February, March, uh, that started to go away. And we got really into the specifics of trying to get my body used to long endurance, high fatigue, bringing us right to that, right to that brink of exhaustion and injury and then recover it and then hitting it again. And so we played this like Russian roulette with training um, for three or four months. I mean, my training volume got up to close to 40 hours a week of actual like physical movement. And that didn't include, you know, the therapy and preparation and diet and massage. I mean, all of that other stuff. So, I mean, you put all of that in with logistics and and all all the other things we were working out. I mean, it was an 80 hour work week. Um, and so it's just it was just super intense. Can you give us an example of what you maybe your typical week would have been in the intense period of it? Yeah, so uh, let's say uh, my week worked out with the kids and my wife's school schedule that we would pick. We started with two two big days, then went to three big days, and then four big days. So at the peak of it, we would do four consecutive days, ten 
11, 10, 12 hours or something like that, or, or 7, 12, 8, 14. Yeah. Just really, just four massive days in a row. Um, and then the, and then, and then three days off and off meaning four hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, so a swim, a light cycle and some weights, you know, um, and, and then, you know, I'd recover during those four day, three days. And then we would, you know, 30 hours worth in those, the next four days. Um, and so we were just, like I said, we'd take me right to the brink and then pull me back and recover, take me right to the brink. And so I was doing chiropractic twice a week. I was doing deep tissue massage twice a week. Um, I take, typically do a couple uh, uh, stretching sessions twice a week. Um, I'd sit down with my coach a couple times a week. Um, I was coaching, taking the kids to school, deal, you know, helping my wife with school. Um, and then we had to, I had to logistically figure out all of the courses in every state. Mm. And so we ultimately got state ambassadors that I did a social media call. And then I literally sat on Google map for hundreds of hours, just looking at every piece of road. Cause I, I didn't want to run into a gravel road or a road that ends and turns into yeah. brick, brick or, or anything. And so I literally looked at 112 miles worth of bike roads in every single state using Google maps. Wow. And this, it was just so tedious and looking back on it, I mean, it was just a colossal waste of time because uh, <laughs> because we got into these states and, you know, early, early on, uh, my my bike, uh, my body couldn't handle any, hardly any elevation. Mm. Uh, it just it just impacted me in such a way. I was fine on flats. I could maintain great power. We could keep our speed up. But any hills just shut me down. Mm. Well, when so we asked David, he said that maybe you hadn't necessarily always chosen the right courses based on what you're experiencing. Yeah, no, we we didn't. So we made a huge mistake there, um, and, and we even made a big mistake as far as the the path that we went across the country and the cities that we're in, and 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 we chose the places we did because that's where we had help. Okay, uh, that, that's where somebody volunteered says, "Yeah, I'm on the ground. I'm local. I can help you." And it's because early on nobody knew what we were doing, mm. and about halfway through, so many people were offering their help. And had we had all of those offers early on, we would have picked a different route. And a great example would be we were in um, New Hampshire, and there's a river that runs right on the border of New Hampshire and Connecticut. Okay. No brainer. Well, yeah. <laughs> swim down the river, yeah. bike on this side. The next day, yeah. swim in the river, yeah. bike on that side. Well, we did New Hampshire, and then we drove four hours to get to somewhere else right. in okay. Connecticut and did the event there. And so just, just so many things that – if I ever did again, never, um, <laughs> we would do it in such a different manner that it would be a lot easier. But I mean, that was part of the journey, part of the experience. Um, it obviously made it more challenging, but it was in areas where we got a lot of support. The purpose of it was to get people out and active with us. And so at the end of the day, we accomplished our goal, but man, it, it sure made it a lot harder on us. Just, just because the biggest thing we dealt with was complete and utter exhaustion. In, in the um in, in the training that you're using, how disciplined were you to tools? Like, were you keeping to your power? Were you know your your pacing and your run, um, or were you kind of just basically on feel? What kind of what kind of ratio were you using of those kind of aspects? Yeah. So um, early in the campaign, I tore my shoulder for the swim, oh, and I and I ended up doing a lot of the swims one armed, and so at, at that point, it was just a matter. I mean, that was like race six or seven. 
And so it just became a, a, a matter of how to, how to manage that pain mm. and then just get through the swim. That was my, that was my most painful hour of the, of each day. And then on the bike, I, I watched power. Um, and, and I had a ceiling and I, and there was never an issue of the floor. It was always a matter of, you know, especially early on holding back, holding back, holding back. Um, I got, I got really comfortable on the bike so much that on race 18, I fell asleep and crashed on the bike in Tennessee and just, just tell us, tell us, tell us about that. What was it like? Like, what can you recall the experience? Yeah. Uh, the concrete's a horrible alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so you're, you're dealing with such fatigue and on the bike, I was able to hold, you know, 103, 105 heart rate. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get comfortable and you sit down in your aero bars and at that, at that point of the journey, I, I could literally go from conversation to snoring one, two, three, wow. right? That quick. And so you're on the bike and you sit in your aero bars and you stop pedaling. Well, one, two, three, I'm asleep. And so I was able to catch it the first couple of times and I started dealing with tunnel vision as early as race number four because wow. I did the because I did the first three Ironmans on a total of seven hours of sleep because we started in Alaska uh, in Hawaii at midnight, no sleep, landed in Alaska 6 a.m. in the pool by seven on an airplane, landed in, uh, you know, leave, leave Alaska at, at midnight, land in Washington at six in the lake at seven. So I did three Ironman, seven hours of sleep. So, th- so the the fatigue was instant, mm. and so I started tunnel visioning at race number four, and I was learning. I was trying to learn to control the tunnel visioning. Um, How would you do that? I, I tried music. I tried singing. I tried slapping myself. I tried caffeine. I mean, I tried everything. But when the body wants to shut down and sleep, it's going to shut down and sleep. Mm. And uh, and so race eighteen, I just I lost the battle. And uh, it was a hundred. It was in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was 106 degrees outside, and I lost concentration for a split second and just went, you know. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground eating cement, and uh, tore up my hip and my hand and my arm. Um, and then I, that was only 30 miles into it, so I had to get back on the bike and bike 80 more miles, and then run a marathon that night. And it was a long drive, so the motorhome had gone ahead because they had to get get to the location so i jumped in the back of our subaru <laughs> after crashing and doing all that and so didn't sleep at all that night because my hip hurt so bad and then obviously had to do it again the next day so it seemed early on so, like we were, like like, my, like many people i was watching you as you were kind of going through day to day and kind of seeing all your numbers and stuff it seems early on you kind of went out of it too hard yeah i mean it all it started right off the bat in hawaii when those first three states we had to catch flights oh, so it was more about just getting ahead of the well, making sure because you know you miss you miss one flight and, and your campaign's over yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Um, you you can you can you can miss a departure with your car because your car's there and you can leave any time. Um, and so, in, in the first twenty miles of the ride in Hawaii, we got pulled over by the cops on our bikes. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, I mean, we talked to him for you know twenty thirty minutes, and I'm like, crap, I'm going to miss my flight already because of this delay. Because I mean, it was so, everything was so minute to minute. Wow. And uh, so I pushed, you know, 40 watts above to, to push the pace and try to make up those half an hour. And then, uh, you know, you get into the early states and you're excited. And, you, you know, you it's, it's like any Ironman that, you, that anybody's done. The biggest thing you feel at, you hear at the end of the race is, man, I felt so good on the bike. But, man, that run sucked. <laughs> you know, because, well, yeah, it's still a marathon to go. And so for me, the marathon portion of the 50 days was the last 20 races. 
So if I if I mispaced the first thirty, that screwed me up for the last twenty. And so early on, yeah, David was on me, man. And David, he's such a numbers guy, and he's so intelligent, and and so I really had to had to lean on him and trust on him and his expertise for and I and you know you know when you're when you're doing something and you're so hyper focused and you're in it, sometimes it takes someone on yeah. the outside to say, hey, look, man, I can, I'm I'm looking at your numbers. You need to dial it back. And yeah. so ultimately, I I was a good boy and I listened and. It's a huge help. And the training leading up, because the one thing, you know, like I think lots of us, obviously not even close to this level, but lots of us have done these kind of crazy training camps where you bike a lot. But often the thing that gets compromised is the running. You know, you're, we can tend to beat our bodies up a lot on the bike and even swimming. But once you add that kind of impact exercise of running into the game, it's a much more challenging kind of proposition. First of all, before starting the event and your training, did you kind of limit your running hours or, or did you still try to keep it up? And then once you got in, how did you manage the running? Because obviously, well, maybe it wasn't the hardest aspect, but maybe let me know what your thoughts are. Yeah, so uh, that was ex- that was exact methodology is that the running was going to be, um, if I was going to get injured, it was going to be on the run. And, and so in training, let's say I had a 12-hour day, it was going to be nine hours of biking and three hours of running. It was going to be heavy, heavy on the on the bike side, and, and we really just attacked the bike and said, "Okay, we're going to make you as strong as can be on the bike, so that it's just a formality, and then you're going to gain fitness on the run." Because the last thing we wanted to do was have me injured day one. Yeah, and, and so we were heavy, heavy on the bike for training, um, and I was in great bike shape. Yeah, and uh, and and for for the run, it was just like, okay, I'm good. I, it's inevitable. I'm going to get you know more used to it, and and then those first ten. Or, or even 15 Ironmans, I dreaded that marathon. Really? Uh, I mean, if I would like stop to drink, like it's it, it started happening as early as like either, uh, you know, number four or five. And I distinctly remember at six in Vegas, if I stopped running to take a break, someone with me would have to push me in the back to, to kind of kick me again like a motorcycle. Yeah, to get the momentum going because I just I, my my hips and my knees and everything weren't firing and they weren't used to it. And as as my body got stronger and used to that, then the run became actually my most comfortable part of it because like th- there was I wasn't dealing with as many outside I- influences. So you know I developed to 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 I guess to be as minimally graphic as possible some hemorrhoids yeah. on the bike. So seven hours on the bike, I mean that just sucked. Yeah. And there was some like, you know, potholes and little bumps hurt. And so where, where biking was my strength, I dreaded those six, seven hours on the bike. And it just became, and it's also the only place that I really fought that, that fatigue and falling asleep. And so it was such an insanely mental drain for me on the bike. Um, I was dealing with winds. I was dealing with um, groups of riders that I didn't trust or know. And so well, there was just the a thing, isn't it? Because you're kind of surrounded oh, you, this event kind of feel of what you're doing. But yeah. you could have peasant riders next to you and you're fatigued. So I, I'm fatigued. I mean, I, I, I literally would push people away from me. And, and I, I got to the point where I would ask people, I was like, you can't ride that close to me. Like you and people are like taking selfies and I mean, all yeah. around me. And so the fact that I mean, we had we had some accidents out there and I'm just lucky it wasn't me. I mean, we had a guy that we had three or four guys go down. Oh, wow. Um, the, and the time that I went down, it was just me. But so, so yeah, it, it was interesting that I, I could control more of the elements on the run. And early on, it was my least favorite and I hated it. And then later on, it became kind of my sanctuary. It, it became the moment where I was like, okay, I survived, you know, day number, whatever, because oh, wow. I, 
I would made it through the most painful part of my bike. I mean, the swim, which was my shoulder. It, I, I was extremely uncomfortable on my bike at this point of, of the game. I was dealing with uh, pain. Um, the, the, my bike shoes hurt. I ended up getting bike shoes that were two sizes bigger swelling. because of, because of the swelling I did, I did, I did, I did the Ironman in Arizona, um, with my feet out of my shoes on top of the shoes because, uh, it was before we got new shoes shipped in. Wow. And so I, I did the full 112, um, just mashing the pedals, just my feet outside the shoes. And so, I mean, we were dealing with that kind of stuff. And so by late in the campaign, when I got to the marathon, I was like, yes, you know, I can control this environment. I know I can hold an 11 minute pit. You know, it's just, I, I've made it. It's just a formality to get to the next day. And it, and it was a matter of, okay, how, 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 how much do I want to push to get back to my, be able to sleep and get travel going and how comfortable do I want to be right now? And so, so I, I knew it was just, it was just really interesting that shift. Cause I, you know, the early part was I hated the run. I dreaded it, and then it got to the point where I was like, "Okay, I've made it to the run. I'm in my, I'm, I'm in, I'm in my little happy place now." Which is kind of ironic because it sounds like you prepared for the run to always be the challenge, and it kind of flipped itself on its yeah. head, didn't it? Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, it seems like you a lot. You put a lot of investment in look looking after the body. You know, you talked about how you saw the chiropractors, you got deep tissue massage, and you're stretching and that um, before, and I imagine probably during. How hard was it to manage the body? Because it, I don't think anyone can kind of comprehend what your body was going through. So, so how hard was it to manage it? And maybe tell us, like, I, I can just what was it like sleeping? What was it like when you weren't actually exercising? Um, so sleeping in a moving vehicle sucks. <laughs> you, you, you really made it work for you, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, we were averaging four to five hours of sleep a night. Wow. Uh, because you know we'd finish the Ironman. And we'd want to get on the road as soon as possible. So the first hour, I was um, obviously I had to eat food, yeah, um, because I was fueling for the next day. And then I had to get my legs or something worked on if we had somebody there. And so you know, I'd lose an hour of travel time eating and and doing some recovery things to be able to do the next day. And then and then just trying to get you know sleep while you're moving. And initially, I started off in the motorhome. And, you know, I've got my kids, I had my five kids in there and my wife and some of the crew and in the back of the motorhome, it's just swaying all over the place. And so, you know, it feels like the it's always rolling or you're always going to you go off the road and our, <laughs> our drivers were always hitting the rumble strips. And so I always thought they were falling asleep. And so I'm it's now not getting good. Yeah, I'm getting stressed because I'm like, we're, I'm going to kill my family tonight. That seems like the news in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so it's like I, I was more worried and, and anxious, and so it was impacting my sleep. And so about two-thirds of the way through, we moved me full-time into the other vehicle. Oh uh, we had a 15-passenger van that we made up a bed in there, um, and I started to sleep much better um, just because I wasn't worried as much because I – if I couldn't feel the motorhome swaying and moving, it was it wasn't the forefront of my mind. Yeah, and so I started sleeping better, um, but it was still only four to five hours uh, a, a night. Um, but when I was out, I mean, I was out. Open the door, bud. My kids um, are getting ready for bed. It's all good. Um, what what about the just the fatigue? You know, like because like just tell me what your body was feeling like when you weren't exercising. Yeah, you know, um, I was never like, I never had like that deep muscle sore, like after you've done like a killer squat set or yeah. something like that. That, that never really set in. Um, and, and I, it, it was interesting. It, 
the, I guess the good thing that happened is I never had a, a, a an ouch area for more than a few days. And to me, that, that meant I was managing it really well and we were doing the right types of thing because it was always moving around wherever my pain was. Say, so the shoulder was constant while I was swimming, but during the day, I mean, one day I'd have a foot issue and then the next day I'd have a hip issue and then the next day I'd have a, a shin issue and the next day, I'd, you know, but it was never for more than two days at a time. And, and I, I remember just thinking, can I just have one day without an issue? Cause I mean, I'm like, I, in my mind, I'm like, it's got to stop moving at some point in time. <laughs> but, but the fact that it was moving was, uh, an, I, I looked at that as a huge plus cause that meant I wasn't injured. Mm-hmm. My body was just learning to adjust and adapt to what I was doing to it. And ultimately, eventually it did go away. Um, and, and, you know, if you look at the times and, and whatnot over my last 15, I, I nailed it. I was a metronome by that point. Um, I, I, I had stopped complaining. The crew would ask me, you know, how are you doing? My answer was always, I'm fine. I lied every single day. Um, every, the, the two biggest questions I got was, um, what's next? Don't ask me what's next. <laughs> and, and, and how, how are you feeling? Um, how do you think I'm feeling? <laughs> I'm on my 40th Ironman. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I didn't have the luxury of like breaking down exactly how I was feeling. Oh, you know what? You should see my foot. It sucks. Yeah. And they don't uh, actually want the answer, do they? <laughs> my, no, they don't. And my ass is killing me and I can't feel my shoulder and this and my head hurts and I miss my family. And, you know, I didn't have the luxury of, you know, breaking down everything. So every day I was just like, you know what? I'm fine. I feel great. Thanks for asking. You know, so I flat out lied to everybody. But that's kind of but the journey, I, isn't it? Is how do I deal had, with that stress, really, isn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And and uh, this early, early on, it became absolutely a mental um, journey over a, a mental and a spiritual journey over a physical journey because you could only get so so physically fit. Mm. And um, I, had re- I had reached that physical fitness for me. Genetically, whatever it was, I had reached my peak fitness. And now it was a matter of, Am I able to control my mind to bring my body through the rest of this journey? And do I have the spiritual connection and capacity to make it the rest of the way? And, and, that's, what it, and that's what it came down to. This was a mental and spiritual journey and my body was literally along for the ride. Because when I stopped, you know, uh, the first week after I stopped, I was like, man, I feel great. But there's always that delay in what your mind's telling your body to do. And it was actually week two and three that I felt the worst because – my body finally said, oh, okay, you really are stopping after that first week. Okay, now I get it. You're not going to do an Ironman tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it was that exact opposite. When I started, it was like, what the hell are you doing? Because it didn't realize, oh, you're doing an Ironman every day. And so I, I experienced it on both ends, the body freaking out, getting used to doing an Ironman every day, and then post-event to where my body held on, held on, held on. I'm not going to let you realize you're hurting. And then a week later, it was like, okay, now I realize you're not doing an Ironman. Here you go, dickhead. Here's what you did to me. <laughs> Payback. <laughs> you know, Payback. And, and that's when I started to feel everything. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I need to really, really respect my body and, and, and give it the time it needs to fully recover. You, you say that for you, physically, you were prepared, <clears throat> um, but ultimately it did become about a mental and spiritual experience. Can you maybe talk to me about what you learned? Um, what you discovered, maybe some of the tools you used, what helped you got through it, maybe some of those tough moments. Yeah, I mean, you, you've you've heard it been said by many professionals that an Ironman is the longest conversation with yourself. Mm. And uh, I had the opportunity or the, um, <laughs> the displeasure of having 50 really long conversations with myself. Yeah. Um, 
and, and at the end of the day, uh, it was a total, total blessing for me because um, I now know exactly who I am. Wow. And I know, I know why I did what I did. I um, have forgiven myself for anything I've done in the past, um, good or bad. Um, I've embraced um, the journey that I've been on. Um, I appreciate family beyond comprehension. Um, one of the coolest things is, is I had my family there with me, and we did a, we did a structured 5K every day yes, at 7 yeah, o'clock. Yeah. The public came out and everything, and my 12-year-old daughter, um, my goal was to do 50 Ironmans, and her goal was to run 55 Ks. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so every single day at 7 p.m., um, it, it was the highlight of, of my day. I had a 7 o'clock appointment with my daughter. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, was that one, it was that moment every day that I knew that I got to reconnect with, with my family. Because I would ask, hey, what did you guys do today? What did you go see? What did you experience in the state? Because they would go do whatever was fun. Yeah. And and so she, it was like, she got, she was reporting back to me, and and um, it was super cool because obviously I'm a superhero to her. Like I'm, yeah, dead. I'm dead, and and what you're doing, and is crazy. I'm doing, and what I'm doing is crazy. And so you know, I, I have the superhero status with my kids, and um, it was her 35 minutes every day where she got to carry my water and she got to run rape aside Superman. And, and, uh, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you're, you're the iron Cowboys daughter. You're Lucy. And so she kind of got this little fanfare. And so it was really, really special for me to experience that every day with her and to share that moment. And, and, uh, and, uh, and it was, it was a huge driving force for me to a lot of people like, well, what, what was, what, what was getting you to the finish line every day? And, uh, it was my seven o'clock appointment. I mean, it was that, that that seven o'clock time of every single day that I knew my family was going to be there, meaning my daughter, um, and I got a complete update, and I got to reconnect and re-energize, and that got me through the rest of the marathon every day. And then every morning they woke me up, threw food at me, and threw me in the pool, and then I just said, "Okay, what's happening today? Today I have a seven o'clock appointment tonight with my daughter." So, so it sounds like ultimately you're saying this: you gained a deeper appreciation and a deeper acceptance of self. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm totally confident with with who I am and what I did, and um, yeah, life's good, man. Yeah, it's pretty pretty powerful stuff, mate. Hey, um, tell tell us about going through the days because you know, like I know, you know, we got emails from the listeners. Some people like just watching tracking you. You know, you, lots of people are tracking you. So, what the experience? What what did you uh, like? You know, first few days. Were the moments where you didn't think you're going to do it? When did you kind of think, no, I've got this, you know, like, or was it always kind of on the edge? Tell us about that kind of side of it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I had a, I had an unbelievable conviction and belief in what I was doing. And, and when I first made the announcement that we were going to do the 50 Ironmans, um, man, it was overwhelming the amount of people that were like, that's impossible, not going to happen. And, and it kind of took me back because I just, I didn't have that mindset. And, and to me, you know, I'd, I'd taken the right steps in my, in my mind, in my opinion, you know, the half Ironmans, the full Ironmans, the training, yeah. the execution, the planning. And so everything in life is such, uh, you know, so much perspective and everybody's on a different part of their journey. And so when somebody was hearing about this idea for the first time, instantly it's like, 
ah, impossible. It can't be done. And for me, it was like five years in the making. And so I'm like, well, I don't, I don't even understand that mentality. Mm-hmm. And so for me, once, once I made that commitment and, and once I started, there was zero wavering from it. And so th- there was never an option B. It was always going to be a variation or um, an alteration of option A. And so I was never in a scenario where I was like, yeah, you know, today I might quit. I mean, there was hard, hard times and definite lows, but I was never at a state where I was like, ugh, man, this could be the end. You know, today, Mm -hmm. today might be it. And so it just just came down to, um, let's say there's a billion people in the world. Um, The only person that needed to believe that it was possible was me. Mm. And as long as I stayed true to that and had that conviction, that, that was all that mattered. It didn't matter the haters or what they were saying or what they thought or whatever their opinions were because the only person that needed to keep moving and have that belief was this guy. Mm-hmm. And as long as I stayed in the present, in the moment, and took the next step, then I was going to make it. Mm-hmm. So, so so, really you, you, you had that deep conviction in yourself and other than injury or bloody a crash, you knew you were going to get there. The, the only – and I, literally, I went through every Worst case. possible. Yeah, I went through every possibility. I mean, we would have literally had to crash all four vehicles at the same time off a mountain, yeah. obliterate all the bikes, burn 12 pair of shoes, you know, uh, uh, five tornadoes. I mean, there was just the only way that I wasn't going to continue moving forward is if I got smoked so bad by a car on my bike that I'm in a hospital with two broken legs and a full body cast, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and I was always intelligent enough and always conscious enough to, that I get it. I've got five kids. I'm not going to put myself in a in, in yeah. dangerous situation to where they're going to be uh, subject to not having a dad. You yeah. know, yeah. The, 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 I was always willing to say, okay, look, if we're if it gets that dire, kids, family, number one, absolutely. But it never got there. And But I was willing to make that choice. But, but when I say, you know, I was going to accomplish this with, at whatever cost, that meant – it was take the kid, take the kids out yeah. of it. There, yeah. there was no scenario other than me, you know, yeah. in a massive hospital situation that would, that, that there wasn't going to be a way for me to figure out whatever logistically was going to go wrong. Cause that's what people said. People said, you know, and this to me, it's a cop out. People would say, you know, I believe you could do this physically and mentally, but there's something logistically out of your control that's going to happen. That's going to, okay. that's going to prevent you from doing it. And to me, I say, ah, horse crap, because that's just you trying to be nice. The reality is, is that means you don't think I'm intelligent enough to figure out a way when a problem presents itself. Yeah. Cause there's always a solution to a problem. Yeah. If you don't find the solutions, it means you gave up. And so it was, it was unbelievable. Myself, my two wingmen, my wife, we, we were just a, a really tight clicking unit and we were just the, the calmest four people and we handled crisis and problem really well. And so when something would arise, we would just divide and conquer until we had a solution that allowed us to continue and move forward. Mm-hmm. It was never this panic and just like, oh, well, it's over, you know, yeah. and, and hands up in the air. We all had that same belief and that conviction. And we were just like, yep, what's the solution? Okay, here's, here's option one, two, three. Let's try one first. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's try two. That didn't work. K okay, three. Ah, oh, crap. That didn't work. Okay, that's solution four, five, six. Until we got one that worked, and that okay, and now we move forward again. There was some kind of criticism of the use of the IV a couple of times, and I think one time you had to use the elliptical trainer. Um, yep. And and like I know John and I were like, "Come on, guys, you're being idiots here." But mm-hmm. was it a frustration for you? 
Um, did, that, did that take energy out of you, I suppose, is, you know, because here you are bloody killing yourself and, and, and I, I get it, you know, you didn't do full WTC Ironman and so you can go, well, he's not doing 50 Ironman, but come on, guys, you're being an idiot. But, you know, yes. did that pull well, away from you? You know, I, I uh, th- that's one of the big things I learned was that I'm the one that has to be okay with it. Yeah. And, and there's always going to be uh, the one percenters that are jealous or that – um, you know, whatever the reason is, the insecurities, whatever it is, that's totally on them. Yeah. And, and the, 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 if you look at the way that, um, if you go from an Ironman to a, to an Epic five, to a Deca and to the guys in Italy that did 30, every time you do that and make that jump, the rule book changes mm. and it's a new rule book that's written. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, I, 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 I was I read some of the stuff early on and then I completely just disregarded it. And, and one of the ones that I, one of the things that I read was I was disrespecting the oh really the the endure, ultra endurance people that have gone before me and that I wasn't following some type of rule book. And I'm like I don't know there is no rule book for this guys. I'm doing this to raise money for charity. This is a 50 day event and a personal challenge for me. Um, and, and so the we'll talk about it. The elliptical day. Mm. Um, it was, it was race number 19 and, and we never tried to hide anything. I mean, it, we were, I posted a picture of it. Um, I wasn't ashamed of it. Um, what had happened was is in Tennessee, I crashed on my bike and I was having a, a major toe issue at the time, crashed on my bike, biked 80 more miles, ran the full marathon that night, got in the Subaru, drove five hours, woke up the next day, um, it was 110 degrees, maybe Mississippi. So we uh, swam in a pool. I had incredible cramping that happened in my legs. Um, ultimately, because of extreme heat weather warnings, we biked on a compu trainer, which I have no problems with. Biking on an indoor trainer is harder yeah. than biking outside. You stop pedaling and your mileage stops going. So yeah. those hun- those 112 miles are 112 you miles, those of, miles like, yeah. are crank- of cranking the pedals over. And then um, early, early on, the, the goal has always been, and I've stated it, was to raise money for charity and to accomplish 140.6. And, um, and, at, and at race 19, you know, you were, I, I, we were so fatigued as a team and I had just crashed on the hip. Um, we had just done a full Ironman on the crash. Um, and we were like, look, in order to make it 50, let's just do the marathon on the elliptical. And, and it was just such a quick decision. And we were like, yeah, that sounds right. Let's just do it because it was just – and trust me, 26.2 on an elliptical sucks. <laughs> like yeah. your your feet fall asleep. And I mean if you look at my heart rate chart and the time I was on the elliptical, I mean it was, it was spot on. And the way that the Garmin works, I mean it, the technology is amazing nowadays. It measures arm strength, uh, stride length and arm swing and even on a treadmill indoors and all of that. And so and, – and again, like I said – I am totally comfortable with who I am, what I did, and why I did it. And that one percent out there can say whatever they want to say. Mm-hmm. I covered one forty point six, fifty days, fifty states. And, and you know what? Here, here's the last thing I'll say about it. Any of those guys that want to have a six-hour conversation on elliptical with me about it, come, come to Utah. We'll have a chat. <laughs> hey, what about feeding the machine? Because 
I can't even comprehend it. Did you lose weight? Like, because it didn't look like you were losing a huge amount of weight, and you're not—you're not the leanest character, at least from the photos I've seen. You seem pretty like I wouldn't miss with you for those shoulders, mate. But uh, you know, like it seems like, like. Tell us about how you feed your machine. What happened with nutrition? Did that change? Um, what happened with your weight and those types of things? Yeah. So early on, uh, we lost about seven pounds in the first week. Okay. And uh, and and we just went. Oh man, we. We just can't sustain that because yeah. when I started, you know, when I started, I was probably about ten percent body fat, and uh, so to lose seven pounds right off the bat, it's it was awesome. like, yeah, it's like, oof, that's trouble. Yeah. And so, um, so we just started feeding me just eight to twelve thousand calories, you know, just in anything. I mean, I remember South Carolina coming off the bike, porterhouse steak. <laughs> Mashed, mashed potatoes and steamed vegetables, you know, just yeah. everything. Um, I'd wake up in the morning, two bowls of oatmeal, uh, walnuts, coconut, uh, honey, come out of the swim, six breakfast sandwiches, four pancakes, uh, <laughs> uh, a plate of hash browns, uh, a watermelon. You know, I'd, I'd eat 4,500 calories before I'd get on the bike. Wow. Um, and then it was just a matter of just feeding just all day. Um and then, and then, you sick of eating? I hated it. Yeah. Oh, it sucked. It's just got to the point where I was just like, I hate food. And, you know, but yeah, I had to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and we put those seven pounds back on and then maintained it throughout. And I finished within two to three pounds of what I started with, which was, which was a huge goal. Um, and a win for us as a team. <laughs> I remember watching a documentary years ago about the guys who ran across the, Saf- the Sahara. They did, kind of did one of those kind of crazy marathons across, the, I think, like, I don't know how many days it was. But one of the things that was really interesting about that documentary was they kind of ended up hating each other by the end of it. There was there was the component of the relationships that was just really challenging to handle in this high-stress environment. How did you deal with people? Like, because... We all know what it's like when we're less, you know, a couple of nights without good sleep. We're always a bit crap with the people around us. Well, look at what you're doing. So you talked before about how your team was pretty great, but also I imagine there's this kind of outer rim of people. How did you manage to deal with that in a way that didn't take your energy away too much? Yeah, so my uh, my inner circle that knows me personally, um, when I got home, that was one of the things they said is they said, put the, put the athletic feet aside. Um, they were like, how on earth – did you have that, you know, how did you have that, that, um, just that upbeat personality and have the same conversation every single day with so many people? And, and they were more impressed with that side of it because I'm not really a social person. Okay. Um, I don't like huge crowds. I, I'm not an introvert, yeah. but I would rather just sit back, observe, and my wife does all the talking, right? And, um, I, I enjoy outings, but I like it with my close friends. Yeah. And so to have 50 new people every day, um, 50 to 400 new people every day that are, are wanting to talk to me and ask me questions and, and literally no fault of theirs, but it was the same questions every single day. And, uh, I mean, it was just a tremendous, you know, groundhog day just over and over again. And, um, yeah, it, it was just, it was just, it was, a, it was a challenge for sure. And, and I, I had to come to the realization and I remember saying, my, having a wife with my conversation and I was like, look, we're on race 41. We're tired, yeah. obviously, and we're getting the same questions, but the people that are here today, it's their first race mm. and their first experience with what we're doing. And so we really had to respect 
their experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and we could have we could have done fifty Ironmans and not talked about it and not raised any money, and it would have been a lot easier. We would have saved several hours a day without doing PR, without doing the five k, without doing all that. That those two hours every day would have been sleep for me mm-hmm. and sleep for the drivers and sleep for the crew. But that wasn't the point. Mm-hmm. The point was to engage people and bring them out and ins- empower them to, d- to get up and be active and to learn about food and to, to talk to their kids about it. And I mean, so, so to me, the sacrifice of having those conversations and, and, and trying to be genuine with them and really answer and, and give them the responses that they deserved that was worth it because of the money that we raised. And now that we have, now we've got a platform to go forward and we gained a lot of respect from people because we did it that way. Mm. Um, Cause I mean, a lot of people even said that to us that they were like, you, you could have done this a lot easier, but we really appreciate that you've included us and allowed us to be a part of your journey. And that meant a lot to us. What do you, what do you see as the responsibility? You know, cause it's like, it's funny. I, I live in this group fitness world. I'm not sure if you know about this, but I, in my group fitness world, I have a, a level of celebrity. And it, and I always think that there's, when you get put in front of people, you can, it, you get influence um, and you can choose to do good with that influence. And obviously that's what you're choosing to do. But when you think about your responsibility now, after you've achieved this, and obviously this is open doors and open exposure and, and, and you, um, you understand that. What do you see as your responsibility in of this position you've been kind of fortunate to work for and get in your life? Yeah, it's interesting. You work you work so hard to to get to a certain place and, and to get there, and then once you get there, you're like, what have I what have I created? Yeah. And 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 what are now really what are my, my responsibilities? Um, and, and it's interesting. I, I'm still trying to figure that role out a little bit. Um, because I, like I said, during the 50, I knew my role. I knew exactly what it was. And then you come down after it and you still have that expectation of, of being that role model and doing those things. And, and what's really cool for me and and the the situation that I'm at is I can, we, we get hundreds of emails and, and Facebook messages every day of people Thank you. Um, here's my story. This is what you yeah. did for us. Yeah. And, and and when you think about it, it's crazy because in a in a scenario like that, you're, you're only about ten percent of people that you actually impacted are actually going to take the time and write. Mm. And so so when you really start to to internalize that, the impact that we really had is like, oh, that's intense. Mm. And so, so for me, it's like, okay, I I love that feeling of these emails and that. And so I'm going to continue to, to try to bring out my best game. And it's like this, this really cool ping pong effect where like, you're inspiring me. And so I'm going to continue to inspire so that you'll continue to inspire me. And so it's like, I'm trying to figure out all these, and like, I don't want to do anything crazy like that again, but I really want to continue to engage. And I'm getting out there speaking to the the school kids. I'm getting out there speaking to corporations. I'm writing a book right now with Matt Fitzgerald. Uh, We're currently editing the documentary and, and people are excited about it. I'm going to be doing a virtual race series. We're putting on an actual series. We're launching a coaching platform. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just this, I'm just trying to figure out all of these really cool ways so that I can continue to be inspired by all of these stories out there. And so, so yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm settling in or trying to figure out that role, yeah. um, without t- having to do what's next. Yeah. So, you so know, it's, yeah, be, totally. Yeah. It's, it's not, there's, there's, I have to do these big goals. Yeah. 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 We, we've created this platform and now it's our opportunity to say, okay, 
Now, where's going to be our biggest impact and how do we keep this mo- movement going so that people are continued to be empowered yeah. and, and not just inspired and, and go uh, being a, a fleeting thought, but empowered to the, to the point where they actually engage and do something. Yeah. And that's the cool thing. I don't want to inspire people. A lot of people are inspired by a lot of things. I want to empower people. Yeah. And to me, that's a, that's a different category. When you empower something, you're giving them the gift of movement or action. Mm. To me, to me, empower is a is a is a powerful word. Where inspiration is a fleeting word, and so I want to empower, and I want people to 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 take action and do something. And so that's that's my goal right now is to try to figure out how to take the magnitude or the enormity of what we did and continue that momentum and get people to engage. So, so you're saying right now that you know you obviously got the drug of helping, and you understand what that brings to your life, and and you want to feed yourself down this way, and the kind of the big crazy challenges maybe not necessarily a part of your future so much. But when you think about your athletic career moving forward, what do you see yourself as an as an athlete moving forward? Um, I'm going to do a lot more uh, fun stuff, and not that what I did wasn't fun. But when I say fun stuff, I mean like uh, like relays with 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 other teammates, and I'd like to do some Spartan races. Those look fun to me. Yeah. Um, I'd like to do um, maybe maybe not ride across America, but but because that seems grueling. But maybe ride across America as a team. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe just some like two or three day or week long challenges, just things that aren't like so epic, but that are more team driven and because a lot of the stuff that I did was just like solo grueling type journeys um, to where it's just a ton of self-reflection and I'd still like to challenge myself physically and mentally but I want to do it with other people yeah Um, and and I want to do more the the social fun events um, that are just like where you create those just intense bonds and friendships and and just just memories you know I'm I'm done I'm done you know I don't I don't feel like I need to put myself in a hurt locker you know, the way that I have been. Um, I think I've proven I'm tough, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you can definitely claim that. Um, can people, people can still donate? So you can still go to ironcowboy.co and go donate that to your cause or to the Jamie Oliver Foundation? Why, why did yep. you choose that one? Just kind of... Yeah, you know, I was... Uh, in my past two world records that I did, we, we built dams in Africa. And uh, we had phenomenal impact over there. And then as my kids have gotten older and I've been really active in the school systems, it's just in your face that, that obesity is an epidemic. I mean, not just in, in the U.S., but I mean across the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I saw a TED Talk with Jamie Oliver and he was just yeah, – he was just spot on. Um, and it was just – I love his in your face. He's like – he's kind of a little bit my personality. Just like he's not afraid to say what he wants to say. He's just like this is how it is. I'm in your face about it and this is this is what needs to happen and it just really resonated with me just just his approach to it and I looked at a lot of other 501c3s and I didn't want to create my own I mean I don't want to run a charity I don't want to that's just a huge job and yeah. a lot of a lot of criticism and negativity comes along with it and a lot of you're under the microscope yeah um, what you're doing with the money and how you're doing it so I'm like dude I I don't need that <laughs> and so I I just want to contribute to it and let somebody else deal with that problem and so, you know, his message just resonated with me and uh, it was just like, I just felt really strongly, look, this is, this is the charity that I want to support. And, you know, we may support him for another year or so and, and find something else or, or who knows, maybe we wanted our own thing. But right now, like I said, I don't, I, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. And uh, I just, I just, he just had a message and I went, hell yeah, that's, that's my guy. Yeah. So if you guys, if you're on this, if you want to go and donate money, which is. 
um, you know, pretty awesome stuff. Jamie Oliver, he's kind of basically, if we were to wrap him up in kind of one sentence, it's basically that we've got to get back to real food and we've got to teach people how to cook and, and, and kind of look after the nutritional side of their life really, isn't it? Yeah, some of the videos that he that he has put up, I mean, uh, kids in elementary school cannot identify a simple vegetable. And it was, I saw that and I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. And and I love his message just to, because I'm a huge family guy too. And that's part of his message is like home cooked meals and spending time. And, and, and you know, you, you we've gone so far away from sitting down with the family around a table, around a meal and just just sharing the day stories and, and having those heartwarming moments where it's just so yeah order pizza yeah it's in slam it on the table I'm doing this homework we're done I'm work you know piss on this piss on that and you know and the next thing you know you go to bed you wake up in the morning you do it all again yeah and so I love that my wife cooks I love that we have that time um, and I love that we can educate our kids on what food actually is and so that's what his message is it's about growing food cooking food eating real food. And getting away from the sugars, which is, uh, you know, crack cocaine. Uh, any last thoughts? Anything you want to share? Or? Um, you know, this <laughs> this journey was an unbelievable one for us. Um, it, it was a time for not only for me to self-reflect, but it was also a time for to, to get close with my family. Um, um, and, and I was honored to be able to raise the money that we did. And it was super cool um, the way that the country came together. Um, just to, just to, we would come through and they would literally band together and take care of my family and make sure that I had what I needed. Um, and, and it, it, what was really cool for me is, is my faith in humanity came back. Uh, nice. Uh, I got, I got emails from Japan and Australia and New Zealand, uh, Israel. Uh, I mean, just every corner and just, to, just to be able to be a part of something like that was super special. And, uh, and, and I loved that it was just really a worldwide journey. And uh, I'm excited to see where it takes us next. And, and I hope we can continue to empower people. Um, and, yeah, if you, if you want to be a part of what we're doing, contact me. And I answer all the Facebook messages. I answer all my emails. Which becomes a job in itself, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it does, man. It's, uh, it's taxing. I wake up every day and I'm like, 87 emails? Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Give them a couple more weeks before you email them, guys. Hey. Yeah, no, but, uh, but I love it. It's, it's, it's fun and, and I hope that, uh, that we can continue to impact people. And, and it's, it's because of podcasts like you guys and, that reach out to us and give us a, a platform. So thank you. Oh, well, thanks so much for your time today. You know, like when it comes to that kind of idea of empowering people, uh, your, your, your influence in the world is just such a great thing. And uh, it seems that the path you're going down is going to be a pretty exciting path. And just thank you for your time. And, mate, just impressive, bloody impressive. Eh? <laughs> so, you know, just as I'm listening to you, I'm like, man, it's like I've done some crazy training, but far out, it's just like the other level. You guys, so, you, you guys are in Christchurch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if I come through, am I welcome to do a ride with you guys? Yeah, mate, definitely. I have to, buy, I have to get my bike out. I don't really ride much nowadays, so you have to get my bike out. <laughs> But thanks for your time, mate, and uh, just appreciate everything you're doing and keep up the great work, mate. Uh, thank you. Okay, mate, so I've finished recording this. Jombo, we are back. Did you love that interview? Outstanding, Bevan. <laughs> love your work. It was a, it was a pretty interesting character, eh? Like, it was... Um, you, you obviously haven't heard this, but everyone else has. Like, it was just really interesting talking to him about so many factors that had to go to, to make this work but it was interesting he basically he, the whole time he knew he was going to get there like he didn't have that moment where he was like oh at this stage I'll get there he kind of knew deep down it was going to happen 
barring he died basically or barring you know he ended up in hospital so um yeah far out man fifth just crazy to think of what he went through nice not something i want to do myself but yeah amazing achievement and i really don't give a toss about the one that he did on the what is the elliptical trainer or anything like that um it's just yeah crazy achievement good good stuff and good love love the love the um foundation he's working with the jamie oliver trust so if you feel like uh you're inspired by what he's done maybe ping him ping them a few dollars okay jombo sponsor athlinks.com tell me about it john well bevan last weekend i was supposed to be doing the canterbury road champs 10k yeah my prediction was you were going to win it too yeah Times aren't very fast, but uh, my, my homies, my boys were, were out there racing. So we had um, your homies, eh? I didn't realize yeah. you're a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> we had the, the Timotron. Um, Tim McClurg was out there racing. He went thirty six fifteen, and the Philanator Phil Patterson was three seconds in front of him. Oh, He's, really? Yeah. All the boys were very close because uh, Axel Reiser from Christchurch also he was only uh, thirty five fifty three. So the times were not quick. It's a, it's, a, it's like a four lap course, so you're doing seven dead turns, and so that kills you kills your speed quite a bit. So those guys are a bit quicker than that. But the cool thing about Athlink, so you know, when I look at this, I go, I think that's a pretty good time for Tim. I think, I think he should be pretty pleased with that. And Phil, I think I think that's a good time for him. All I need to do, though, Bevan, is just pop onto Athlinks, and then it's all there for me. So the Phil and Ada, you know, I can just go Phil Patterson, chuck it into Athlinks, go 10K results, gives me all, uh, I can just click on that, gives me his three results. His best before was 36-34, so he's beaten his PB by uh, by about 10 seconds, and I can just do the same with, uh, with Tim McClurg, and you can go through there. So if you're ever wondering, and I always go on about this, you don't want to be giving people the oh fantastic race you did so awesome but they might have been like an hour slower than their previous Ironman time if you're not sure you can always just pop onto Athlinks if they're on there suss it out and give them some good constructive feedback rather than say awesome race you're fantastic but you're an hour slower than what you were before you can just try to pick out where they, where they may have done you could go oh you had an awesome bike right there and just not mention the run and uh, yeah so you can go suss out people's PBs um whenever they're racing so check it out on athlinks.com and one other thing I'll say about athlinks we had an email during um, the week they are going to be launching a new blog and someone sent through let me see if I saved it on email or not I didn't Uh, but they're going to be uh, releasing some blogs somebody got a sneak preview at that and uh, saw some really cool articles on there so we'll look out for that in the next couple of weeks John the question I have for you is what have you taken out your homies Yes, but not uh, significantly, I think. I, w- I was sort of thinking, if I can go 35 flat on that course, I would have been thrilled. I'm not in great shape at the moment, but looking at those results, like that would have been a bit of a stretch when I look at some of the other guys who are racing. I would predict I would have probably gone 35-30 at, uh, at best with all those dead turns. If it was a straight straight line, I think I'd be under 35, but um, with all those turns, probably closer to 35-30. So got to say, not looking overly promising for uh, a PB in Auckland yet. I'm not throwing in the towel, but not exactly on track at this stage. Jomo, the question is then, do we call you the kingpin? Because if you and your homies, you are the kingpin of your homies. Maybe we should stop calling you Coach John Newsom. It should be Kingpin John Newsom. I'll, I'll, I'll allow that. <laughs> You'll allow that. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure your homies will love calling you the kingpin. Yeah. 
Okay, Jonbo. Uh, we're not doing questions and answers this week because John's got to get on a plane real soon. But let's just talk about our patrons. Our patrons, uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, you can go to talk.me and we've got a little click down link there and it'll take you through to our patronage page. From there, you just click on one of the options around what you want to donate and there's different kind of gifting based on what you do donate. And then from there, you get your nickname, you go in the draw to win a free trip to Kona next year and uh, yeah, and you get some swag along the way, Jombo. And these people have become patrons of the show. And I got the first one to name today, and it's Neil Cooper. And I thought, when I thought of Cooper, I thought of that program, Mr. Cooper. Do you remember that? I remember the name. I don't have any recollection of the show. Yeah, Mr. Cooper was an African American guy who was a school teacher when I was a teenager. It was a pretty cool show back in the day. And uh, so I thought I'd call him the educator, Mr. Neil <laughs> Cooper. And he educates people around him how to race and train hard. Obviously, on the plane at the weekend, I, on the way back, I was watching a few things. Do you like South Park? You know what? I've never watched it. I've, I've probably watched two episodes, but the ones I did see were brilliant. I watched The Lord right. of the Rings, which was when basically they found one of the father's porn videos and they had to get the <laughs> ring back to home. And then I watched the one with Tom Cruise coming out of the closet, and that was pretty funny as well. Oh, yeah. oh God. Funny. Yeah. Uh, anyway, side, uh, side topic. <laughs> <laughs> Olaf, the pipeline pusher, Swedler. Don't know how the hell we came out with that one. It was a blast in the past. James, the trawler Slade. Where's that come from? Well, he's got a company called Nordic Oil. So check it out, uh, nordicoil.co.uk. They do a whole bunch of uh, nutritional products. So check that out. I was thinking when they do, when you go sort of uh, getting all that Nordic stuff, you go out fishing, you're going on a trawler boat, so I thought the trawler, and he could cross that across the triathlon, you know, he comes along and just trawls everybody up and just crushes them and spits them out of the back. Nice. Looks like a pretty fresh website you got there, James. Kai, Kai Longboard McBride. Kai, I was thinking sort of surfer, sort of a surfy name. Is yeah. that guy Kai Boots or something like that? There's some, uh, some surfer. I was thinking Longboard and also... Kai. There's also the Kona Brewing Company, one of their, their best beer that they've got is called the Longboard, so very famous in Kona. So there you go. Kai, a Longboard McBride. And the last one we had was a blast in the past again. Paul Silky Smooth Williams. Love your work. Okay, so guys, again, once again, if you want to be a patron, check it out. Go to the website, come patron of the show. We really, really appreciate it. And for those who already are patrons, we try to get you guys' names on the show often, but at the same time, you know who you are, and we just really appreciate the support you give to the show. So thank you very much. Jombo sponsors. Airflanks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And the patrons. The best people in the world, Jombo. Jombo, what's your goss? You've been, where, where you been? Monaco. Well, I was near, near Monaco. I wasn't actually in Monaco, although I did go in there a couple of times. I was playing, staying in a little place called Bilio-sur-Mer, which is probably halfway between Nice and Monaco. Just went there, did a bit, a bit of training, went for a few cool bike rides, had a few little swims in the water. It's fantastic swimming What's out the there. What's the weather like over there? Oh, it's a bit hot. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I, I was always going out pretty early in the morning. I was going at sort of 6 or 7 in the morning to do most of my stuff. It was getting up to – it wasn't crazy hot, but, you know, sort of uh, 27, 28 and getting a bit toasty in the middle of the day. So just uh, cruised around, did my gig, and then jumped on the plane, come back, and, yeah, I've just done a one hour on the treadmill, and, my God, you sweat up a storm on yeah, those treadmills. Yeah, treadmills you do, because eh? there's no bloody – yeah, some of them got fans on them nowadays, which is good, but, yeah, a lot of them don't. Yeah, so – that's my gig. Get back on the plane this morning because I got in late last night. And then tomorrow I'm organising the Canterbury Secondary Schools Duathlon Champs. Ooh. So got to get things sorted for that. Bevan, what about in your world? 
What have I been doing? I went out to Auckland. I had a pretty fun week up there. There was kind of a bit of work. And then I got back. And I had my birthday when I was up there, Jombo. Now 38. Oh, my goodness. Oh. How old are you? 39. Are you going to have a big 40th? I'm going to be in France. I'm going to be in oh, the right. second to last day of Epic Camp. So it should be a good day. Well, I, I, I had my birthday in Auckland. I was kind of working, so it was a bit of a non-event. But I got home and Joe bought me um, those hot laps with the V8 cars. I know those. Well, you know, you basically drive, you go to Rapuna and you get in a V8. Oh, right. And you yeah, get, yeah. Yeah, and you get to drive a V8. I think I get to like 10 laps in the bloody around Rapuna in a hot, you know, a, a souped up V8, basically. You come out tomorrow and help out with some marshalling on the race. We've got the track book. That's where we do the race. Oh, I think I'm busy tomorrow. But other than that, it's, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm not much of a car person, but I have to admit, I'm pretty excited about doing this. Have you ever kind of gotten a car and raced around a track? Well, we do a lot of events out there, and I've kind of—I wouldn't say I've raced around there, but I have uh, have hit some pretty decent speeds when we've been putting out some cones and things like that. But to do it in a proper race car, um, even with someone else driving, would be—it uh, looks like a lot of fun. Well, because that's what happens is basically you do a few laps with a professional, well, with a good driver. I don't know if it's professional, but with a good driver, and then they teach you what you need to know about your lines and stuff, and then they let you kind of blast it out yourself for a little bit. So. Um, I'm not sure when I'm going to do it, but I have to admit I am looking forward to it. Cool. And then I've got, cool. I've got, I've got a dilemma, John, because it's Joe's birthday this weekend. She's uh, turning 39, so she's the same age as you. I'm a little bit younger, obviously. And uh, and she she went she went all out. She spent way too much on me for my birthday. So do yeah. I do I match what she spent me? You got to go Tiffany's. Go Tiffany's. Oh, Tiffany's did you did you go to Tiffany's for Belinda? I did actually. Oh wow, you are, you delivered. Yeah, maybe I should have got you to get me something from Tiffany's when you were there. I should, yeah. Oh, mate, wasted opportunity. Yeah, Michael Hill Jewel is just not quite the same. No, no it's not Michael Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good time. So Joe's birthday this weekend, so I've got to think about what to get her. Um, yeah, but she set the bar high, John, and she goes to me last night. Don't worry, you don't have to spend that much on me. If I turn up and I've just made her a card, do you think it'll go down well? No, you've got to go. You've got to go hard. Go long. Go, go long, go, go yeah, long and right. hard. That's what I'll tell her. I'll make her a card and I'll say, babe, I'm going long and hard. There you go. There we go. Okay, uh, that's pretty much this week's show. Are you back in the studio next week? To be confirmed. To, see, he's a spy team. It's official. <laughs> he's a spy. That's all I'm saying. Sure, sure you've been on the triple sweating this morning. Yeah, nice one. Okay, I've got to go. Iron Rust. I'm in it. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.